Christmas or Yule is um, coming and this was a kind of uh, time for a, a strange uh, runic shamanism which continued to be invented into the modern age. Um, the Orsgang, a practice um, primarily known from southern Sweden and which continued to be, be uh, in use at least until sometime in the 20th century. Uh, and this uh, Orsgang or year walk is attached to specific holidays around Yule and this is an example of the kind of information that you find in the runic and animist calendar project that has recently been published and you can find on this page. In this video I'll argue that this kind of mystical quest to win runes practice in the Orsgang is a form of Odinic shamanism, probably a reinvention of the pre-Christian Sather. Um, and this is not necessarily what scholars will tell you, but I think the evidence is fairly clear and I'll come back to that. Um, I'm a historian of religion from the University of Uppsala. In fact, as of October, I'm a doctor of history of religions. My name is Rune Jane Rasmussen and uh, my main focus has been on Afro-Atlantic religions, but I'm also working on understanding Nordic history of religions as rejected animist knowledge forms. Okay, um, this video is about this shamanic Nordic practice that survived into the, um, into the modern age uh, by being reinvented in this Orsgang or year walk, mainly in, in southern Sweden. Uh, and when I use the word shamanic, I use it as a generic term that refers to practices that create contact with other spheres, other beings through altered stages of consciousness, just so, so that's clear. Now, I mean, to me, it's quite astonishing to see how few people are aware of this phenomenon, the, the Orsgang or year walk. And I'll get back to why that is. But the, the Orsgang has two elements. There's a mythic complex and there's a practice. And the mythic complex is a, a set of stories about a rune magician uh, uh, who uh, was called Shetil Runske in Sweden or in Denmark he was called Kel Rune. Uh, and the Swedish version is, is definitely the one that's most interesting. Shetil uh, Runske, he brings the runes to human beings by stealing them from Odin, he enters into a mountain and steals the runes from Odin. And this gives him magical powers and he then has these magical powers for the rest of his life. And then a bit like Merlin, he's caught uh, by being magically bound by an apprentice. And, and in, in different locations in Sweden, you will, there'll be local stories saying that he's bound under this or that lake or that he, it was him who placed this or that, that remarkable stone. Uh, so that's the myth. Uh, and I believe that this myth is somehow related to the practice, the actual Orsgang or year walk, uh, which is interesting because this practice is a practice of doing what Shetil Runske did, winning runes through a shamanic vision quest. Um, in some cases, you win them from a very Odinic figure. And uh, to me, as a historian of religion, this almost looks like a kind of a rudimentary initiation, initiation technology that was somehow lived on in the Orsgang complex. But let me wind back just a little bit, <clears throat> because since the saga era, the sort of Christmas, Yule, midwinter period was an important time for divination. And people considered that there was a kind of a proximity 
between the realm of the dead and the realm of the living. So on specific days, the worlds of the living and of the dead are sort of close to each other. And, and on those days, this shamanic vision quest called Orsgang can be performed. It's possible on those specific days, Christmas Eve, for instance. <clears throat> so the year walker, the performer of this Orsgang, tries to create contact with the dead by going to burial grounds or going into the wildness on these holiday nights. Um, the purpose is to gain visions of, well, normal-like info, human life, deaths, harvest, marriage, misfortunes, you know, war and love, basically. Uh, and the purpose is also to get to gain second sight by acquiring the runes. And the procedure is uh, somewhat, al somewhat along these lines. You have to comply with certain taboos. You have to fast from midday. You have to tell no one that you're seeking this vision quest. You must see no fire before going out, greet no one while you're walking, and uh, give no answer if you're spoken to. You also have to uh, avoid laughing and uh, being afraid. The year walker basically has to isolate himself. And this is a kind of uh, what's sometimes called sensory deprivation, which is a common feature of shamanic practices. And this is no noted, by the way, by the uh, Swedish researcher, researcher Tommy Kusela, whose uh, article on the practice I've put a link to in the, in the text for this video. So the year walker has to walk in, in absolute silence, don't look, look back and not laugh or be frightened. And then he will see visions that will try to eject him from this shamanic experience, right? Um, and the walk will then go to a cemetery, perhaps more cemeteries. Uh, the year walker will perhaps go up to the church and look through the keyhole inside the church. And he may see the dead having a mass, for instance, at Christmas Eve. Um, and he'll be given visions of the coming year. So it's kind of this, yeah, vision quest to be given uh, visions of the coming year. And it has to be done every year. And on the seventh year, the walker will meet a spirit rider with fire from the neck and a rune staff sticking out his mouth. And he then has to be bold and rush in and take this stuff from the from the rider and th this is winning the runes sometimes uh, runes would be won from a dangerous supernatural sow of all things um, and winning the runes will make you wise and in time it will grant you div divinatory power on the ninth year of performing the orsgang the uh, walker will see dwarves wearing hats and then he has to take one of these dwarfs hats and taking that hat completes the vision quest. The Yearwalker has now gained divinatory power, and if he wears the hat and holds a staff, he can uh, foretell things. So that's Orskang. And yeah, this is the kind of stuff that you can read about in the Count of Nordic Animism that I've recently published, and which is still available. Uh, you can order it through this Facebook page here. And um, yeah. That, and, Pre-Christian Nordic religion also has the kind of shamanism and techniques of achieving altered stages of consciousness and, and so on. And there are sources that describe, for instance, invocational singing uh, that creates contact with the spirit world for div uh, divinatory purposes. Um, and there are also theories of uh, the use of divinatory drums, 
uh, perhaps similar to those uh, used by the uh, Sami people. And, um, and I'll, I'll put a reference to an article about that, uh, specifically here in the commentary as well. Uh, and also there are, there are Eddic poems who describe like ritual ordeals to gain mystical knowledge, a typical, uh, typically shamanic trait. And there, there, there are voyages between worlds and communication with the dead and so on. And uh, there are also vision quests described in the saga literature, and this was called sitting out. And it's basically isolating oneself from the, from the community, typically around Christmas or Yule, seeking out funeral sites, typically sitting on, on burial mounds. And the funny thing is that if you want to, to uh, information on the pre-Christian Viking Age practice, such as Sather, then there's an entire research literature available. But the Orsgang, this modern era practice, which is surely attested, has very little information about it outside Scandinavian research libraries. There's, there's a little bit written here and there, and you know, one example is this fine little article by, by Tommy Kusela that I'm, I'm linking to somewhere in the text here. Um, but T Tommy Kusela also states, for instance, that there is no certainty that the Orsgang complex can be traced back to pre-Christian belief. And of course, he's right that certainty is a very big word when we are hypothesizing about past continuities. That's for certain, so of course you can't be sure. But let's consider the similarities between these two complexes of shamanic practice just for a moment. You know, both the pre-Christian practices and the Orsgang have Divination of life matters performed during Yule and midwinter solstice celebrations. A strong element of contact with the realm of the dead. Uh, vision quests going to wilderness or uh, funeral sites. Odin plays a central role. The purpose is to acquire mystical knowledge, specifically in the form of runes. And the motive of doing this by entering into a mountain specifically. So if you want to claim that there isn't any continu continuity between... Uh, oh, just a second. If you want to claim that there isn't any continuity between pre-Christian shamanism and, uh, and the Orskang, then you're implicitly claiming that a complex with all these different features was there and then it disappeared completely and then it re-emerged with all these motives in a different constellation of course but fairly intact different you know different composi composition now i think that is possible but it's not very likely i think the simplest and most evident um, way to read these data is that Nordic shamanism basically kept being re reinvented. And of course things, things have changed down through, the, down through the ages, they always do. And uh, we have to assume that they do. You know, they change a lot and that's what tradition is, it's change. Uh, it's not stasis, it's change. Uh, and shamanic practices for instance, they're supposed to change, they're not supposed to remain, uh, remain you know, immobile or something. And perhaps it's even surprising that the Orskang hasn't changed more from pre-Christian practices today. So but I, I totally understand actually where Kursela is coming from because Swedish cultural history has these 
amazing and in itself interesting presence of like space cadet nationalism where people would claim that Uppsala is really the location of the sunken Atlantis where the primordial gothic Swedish people you know emanated from and so on and of course it's important as a contemporary scholar to distance yourself from that kind of stuff that's it's uh, it's fairly evident but but I, I also think that the national motivation that un- underlies explanations is actually also active in seclusion uh, that you want to lock stuff into a distant past as this um, imagined untouched thing this iso- it's isolated insights scholarly minds, you know, severed from all the ooga-booga that the peasants are running around doing in the countryside, you know. And I think it's, it's mind-blowing how much is written about Sather that doesn't even touch the fact that this tradition stayed alive, it seems. You know, centuries after Christianity uh, uh, became powerful uh, discourse in, in Scandinavia, you know, there was still Nordic shamanism being practiced. Of course, you can question if it should be called Sather. Uh, but uh, a work like Dark, Dark Strombeck's classic work on Sather, you know, people were perhaps t- still doing it in the villages when he, <laughs> in the early, early uh, 20th century, when he was doing this. Uh, but that's absolutely uninteresting, you know, it's, it's, uh, because it's not Viking. You know? The thing is that it's not Viking. And even today, contemporary scholars, they will jump through a million hoops and compare Sather shamanism with all kinds of Siberian and North American shamanisms, like from the Yukagir and the Haida and the Klingit and, and whatnot, but, but, uh, but the same tradition stayed alive into the 20th freaking century in, in Sweden. Um, and I think this is a case of, of what I sometimes call Viking washing, that uh, Vikings and the Viking Age is this iconic imagined pasts of North European na- nationalisms and the construction of Vikings then sh- also shape um, research institutions and disciplines. So if you're a Viking scholar, then you're unlikely to want to compromise the whole idea of the Viking Age by muddying the definition of the Viking Age. So it's sort of self-enforcing. We want a Viking Age to mirror itself in and to produce these nationalisms. And then uh, we create Viking research. So Viking researchers will then continue to produce the Viking Age. So, we, uh, so, so there's like a circular, circular logic in it. Um, and, and this secludes the whole idea of Nordic traditional religion inside this, this Viking age. So there's a tendency that, uh, that it does that, where the actual fact is that a lot of traditional Nordic religion continue to change and be reinvented down through the histories, such as in this Orsgang, um, Orsgang uh, complex. And of course it changed, that it mixed with other belief systems and so on, and that's, that's what culture is. It's change, it's mixing, culture is mixing. Um, Anyway, so if you're interested in, in Nordic uh, sh- shamanism, uh, then uh, don't forget about the tradition of vision quest that remained in, in Sweden. And check out the uh, articles that I linked, uh, particularly Tommy Kusaler's nice little article. And uh, if you're interested in stories like this, the, uh, those uh, stories of the rejected stuff, the stuff that they normally don't tell you about Nordic religion. And follow this channel. This is uh, the Nordic Animism channel. And um, yeah, see you around. Ciao.